0: Welcome to the Obesity Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Matea Rentia, board-certified in internal medicine and obesity medicine. Here, we talk about a path to metabolic health, and we have real conversations about chronic weight management and living a full life. Just a reminder, I am a physician, but I'm not your physician. So everything that's on this podcast is for informational purposes, but please go talk to your doctor about what's right for you. There is no medical advice being given on this podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, I think, is going to be a really fun episode because I'm going to answer some of the questions that I've been getting. They're kind of pulled from a lot of different places. If people have ever sent me these messages directly, I always ask for their consent to in an anonymized way present them here But I'm not going to be giving you any medical advice. As always, this is only informational. This is only educational. But there were little aspects of things that people said in these questions or statements that made me realize there's maybe a little teaching point that we could talk about. Let's get started at the top. There's going to be a big variety here. Now, if you are someone that you want me to answer your question because I get them all the time. And majority of the time I have to say, Hey, listen, I'm not your doctor. I can't answer this question medically and ethically, legally, all of it. If someone's not under my medical care, I cannot give specific recommendations. However, there's usually some general points. I will not be privately messaging that back to you, but if you want in general for it to get answered on a forum like this on a, on one of my podcasts, what you can do is you can get on my email list. The best way to do this is to go to rentiaclinic.com. We'll have the link down in the show notes. If you click on the upper right-hand corner podcast, right on the right-hand side, there's a link to get on my weekly email that lets you know what's coming out on the podcast. Now, one of the benefits of this, when you get those emails, I always have at the bottom, hey, are there any topics that you want me to cover or any questions that you want me to answer? You can simply hit reply to those emails and then If you have something like that, we'll put it possibly into a future episode, the easiest way to reliably get me that information. All right, so let's start at the top. Here is the first statement that I pulled out. I have been on Ozempic for three weeks. I've lost three pounds. Is it normal for it to be that slow? I'm on the 0.25 milligram dose. All right, so background, if anybody just kind of caught me new here, Ozempic, it's one of those once a week injectable anti-obesity medications. Ozempic is specifically branded for diabetes. The other name for weight management is Wagovi. Both of them, it's semeglutide, the generic name, and 0.25 is the starting dose. First of all, one to two pounds a week is the max amount of weight loss that we're wanting on a medication like this. If it's higher than that, we're at risk of you losing your lean muscle mass, so meaning the muscle that you have in your body. And one of the things I really want to focus on here, I don't know what people are looking at, but they're obviously comparing To other people that are losing at a super rapid pace. That's not normal. That's not expected. That's not what we're wanting. I would stop comparing because it's really not helpful. It's much more productive for you to say, what I'm doing, is it sustainable? Can I stick with this long term? Because remember, who cares if you lose weight super quick? If number one, You're doing it at the expense of losing your muscle, which we're seeing is a really big thing on these medications, that if you're not having the correct guidance as far as protein intake and some resistance training, things like that, and not losing weight too quickly, we are potentially seeing up to 40% muscle loss. That is horrifying, right? So when you ask a question like this, again, it is not normal to be losing super rapid pace, One to two pounds a week is absolutely amazing, given an average person. Now, if you are in the camp where you have Less weight to lose. So, for example, remember with these medications, a BMI of 27 up to 30 is in the overweight category with medical comorbidities would qualify for medicine like this. Let's say you're on one of these, right? Look, let's say you have diabetes in addition to that BMI or a cholesterol problem, right? Things that would be related to weight. You might not have as much weight to lose. So, maybe you're only losing half a pound a week. It does not matter. You're still making forward progress. The thing I care about much more, to be honest, is the weight loss percentage that you're losing. We will link down in the show notes. If you go to the anti-obesity medications part two, I talked in that episode about how to calculate the percentage of body weight that you've lost. That is a much more revealing number compared to just pounds in general. Because I want you to imagine if you started at a weight of 350 and you've lost a pound a week, that's very different than if you're starting at maybe a BMI of 31. Maybe your starting weight is 210. It's very different, potentially, the pace that you might lose at. These things are not all equal. So we do not want this rapid weight loss. One to two would be the max. Over that, likely you're getting into a category where you're getting rid of some of your muscle. You're also really upping the chance that you're going to lose your gallbladder, that you're going to get gallstones. So you're not going to put yourself in a good spot. So I hope that that answers that and just lets you know that is it normal to be losing that slow? That's not slow at all. It sounds like that's right on target. All right. The next one that I have here is, what is your opinion on VSG? That's a vertical sleeve gastrectomy. So for those of you that don't know, that's think a bariatric procedure versus medications. This person gave a little bit more background of being 5'11", 280 pounds, and that they're 60 years old. So this is the thing. So this question is mainly getting at asking me, what do I think about bariatric surgery versus weight loss medications? And Here's the thing. It's really not either or. If we really look at the data, bariatric surgery is extremely effective for long-term weight loss. And the other thing that bariatric surgery provides is that a lot of the times if you're really starting at a higher weight when you're starting this journey, and again, we would do the, the body mass index to find that out, What's going to end up happening is with a lot of these medications that we have nowadays and more coming down the pipeline that have higher percents, but anywhere from 15 to 20 something percent is possibly the weight loss percentage we can expect. Well, if you're someone that's starting with a BMI that's maybe in the 50 category, right, 40, 50, things like that, one medication might not be able to get you all the way there. And so what I say is it's never an either or What I really look at is what's the right tool right now? You might be someone where surgery might not be covered at the moment, or you might not feel comfortable with the thought of surgery. All of these conversations, right? And you might say, well, medication is covered and I'd like to start with that. Okay, that could be a good starting place. You might be someone that says, no, I've got so much weight to lose. And you have a consult with a bariatric surgeon and they show you the data And they show you how this is actually the most effective tool right now to bring down the weight. Well, you might not get all the way to your goal after you have surgery. And then medications can be used. This is actually quite common with my patients. I have many that have had bariatric surgery in the past. And they lost weight and kept it off. But they didn't get all the way to to closer to where they would want to be. And they know for health reasons they want to keep going. And so then we'll be using medications. It's really not black or white. And I think the challenge that people have in these scenarios is... Who do I go talk to that can kind of walk me through all of this? And ultimately, I think an obesity medicine specialist can help walk you through some of the logic. But the saying I like to use most often is the right tool at the right time. And a lot of it comes down to shared decision making. It's what you feel comfortable with at the moment, I think a lot of people that come into my universe are just scared about surgery. And so we might try all these other things at first, but then they know, hey, I've really tried all these things. Now I'm ready to get that surgical consult because I feel like I didn't just start with surgery, even though we know that's never an easy out. There is so much work that goes into getting a surgery and what your life is going to look like afterward. I hope that that Shed some light there. But whenever you see someone asking a question and they put like the verse in there, like this or that, I always want you to ask yourself, is there really a line here? And is it really one or the other? And it's really not anymore with this world. The next question that I had on here is someone told me how they were on Manjaro, they had lost 30 pounds. And then, of course, because of insurance and coverage, It wasn't covered anymore. I think they had probably used the savings card. And then they had switched over to Ozempic, which is another injection weight loss medication. And now they had only lost five more pounds. And they don't know what else to do. They're so frustrated. And then here was the very telling sentence here. I'm not even going to read the rest of it. It said, I'm eating only one meal a day. And again, how frustrated they are. What else can they do? Let's start here. This is the only reason I'm going to answer this question. (laughs) There is no universe where you eating once a day when you're on these medications where you are getting enough nutrition. If the medications are working properly, part of what we're doing with these injection weight loss medications is that we're slowing down the gut motility. So this means that you typically will get full with less food. So if you're only eating once a day, you typically cannot get enough protein and the other macronutrients that you need in that meal. Not only that, but it also when you are under eating, which I just get the sense from this person that that's what they're doing, when you are doing that, you actually stop losing weight so the one thing when I hear something like this, what my mind goes to when people are they're so frustrated and they've done all the things. It's almost to stop focusing so much on the medication that you're on because you're giving that so much power. It's definitely helping and it's there to help you along, but it's almost to switch gears and think, can I maybe meet with the registered dietitian or someone that can help me look at, am I optimizing my nutrition here? Because I suspect if you're eating once a day, you're not, that either there's an there's overeating happening, undereating happening, that there are other things going on. Are there drinks that are happening at other times. What else is happening here? But I can just tell you, having read that, that you're only eating once a day, there's no universe where that's going to be helpful enough for you. The next one that I got, and this is an interesting one, I debated not (laughs) not bringing it on, but unfortunately, this is super common. This person wrote me that they're in their 30s. They wrote that they're over 300 pounds, and they were trying to decide between medication or going to a clinic in Mexico to get a bariatric surgery. The uh, complications here is that their insurance doesn't cover bariatric surgery here in the States, and they don't know if the medications are covered. This person wasn't asking my medical advice, but was kind of saying, is there a decision tree and how a lot of what was driving their decision was quality of life and mobility, things like that. And so, of course, I'm never here to give medical advice. I'm not here to ever say how you're going to decide on all of this. But medical tourism, unfortunately, is very much so a reality, both outside of the states and people coming to the states. And... What's unfortunate here is that insurance, of course, puts up lots of exclusions and things like that. So the fact that people even feel like they have to sit there and make some of these decisions. I just want to talk in general for a moment. I've actually had a lot of patients. This is even before... I went into specializing much more in the weight management space with obesity medicine. Even when I was in primary care, I had a ton of patients that had gone to Mexico to get the bariatric surgery done, and then they would be following up with me or other weight specialists afterward. And the biggest challenge that I see with that, number one, I have no idea the medical care that you're getting there. I have no, that is something that I have zero idea about, and so I'm not ever going to sit here and say, oh yeah, I recommend that. That's not something I'm going to say. The biggest challenge, though, that I saw for these patients is that they were not getting as much follow-up afterward as they would have had if they were at a U.S. center getting this done. So centers that do bariatric surgery, they're really usually centers of excellence. They need to be doing a certain amount of cases to even qualify to be able to do this. This came out of way back in the day when they did them. The mortality rate was pretty high, and so they they started to make... I don't know if we want to say regulation. I'm going to get a surgeon on so they can talk about all these details. But basically, the point is these surgeries are happening at big centers. It's not sort of small places where bariatric surgery is being done. Typically, afterward, there's really a lot of follow-up. And this is very beneficial in the sense that a, a bariatric surgeon knows every visit when they're seeing you, kind of what you should be projected to be losing and if you're on track or not. And if you're not, then they know other interventions that can be done right away other things to make sure that you're kind of moving along we need to see kind of that success within the first few months or year or two the challenge when you go to a place like mexico is that that follow-up does not exist now i'll just tell you from my patients from the past they said well they do they do a video call and they do this they do that I just historically, and this is a very small case number, very small, I would just see those patients stall out and then they would be so frustrated because they thought that the result was going to be much more. What I suspect, again, lots of speculation here. I suspect that that bariatric surgeon in Mexico would do a video conference with them before they would come down and say, well, you can lose this much percentage of weight loss with this surgery, so you might get down to XYZ and kind of give them these numbers, give them this math. That's all fine and good, but again, if no one's following you afterward, it's a very tough road. My only thing is this, if someone chooses to go down this road, it would be What is your follow up plan going to be? I wonder often if you're going to take that route, could it be at the, at the barest minimum that you make sure that then you have a weight specialist that you're really following up closely with afterward? The other thing is long term, because there's not that clinic where you got the recommendations of what to do long term. I would see this fall off happen where then they wouldn't be getting routine labs and other things done. And your risk of malabsorption and things like that, depending on what procedure you get, it's really increased. And so, again, you really need someone to be following you long term. The last question that I'm going to answer on here, this is a, a one I get asked all the time, and it's suggestions for hair loss on GLP-1 medications. This person said that they are on the medication Manjaro, that they had lost... 25 pounds over a six-month period, and that they started to shed a lot of hair, that this person said, I'm eating protein, they're doing methyl B shots, multivitamin, probiotics, B-complex, DHEA, should I add iron?" So first of all, I want to always say, always go talk to your doctor, right? That's always going to be the first step. The hair loss is always very complicated. I'm going to talk about it very generally in the sense of the stress of weight loss on the body. But hair loss patterns can be very complicated. And quite often, a dermatologist is going to be a really great step for you if your primary care doctor is not helpful. I want to speak about what happens with hair loss. So, this is something called telogenum fluvium. And I hope I'm saying that right, (laughs) that medical term. But if you go back to my March 13th podcast episode, I had dermatologist Chris Berlingerry on, and she talks about a lot of this. In fact, it was so great, I even brought her into my clinic to do more of a deep dive on some of this. The hair talk is complicated, but hair has several different phases to its cycle. So, the first phase is antigen, that's the growth phase. That can be anywhere from two to seven years. specifically our hair or scalp. The next phase is called catagen. That's the rest phase. And then telogen is when it falls off. So that first phase antigen, that growth phase, about 85% of your hair is in that. And then that catagen, the rest phase, about 3%, it's there, it's just waiting. And then telogen falling off, it can be anywhere from 10 to 15% that's going through that. So every day you're losing about, let's say like 10% of your hair or 100 hairs are falling off. So there's some variance to this, Right. And what ends up happening is anytime you have a massive stress on the body, this can be anything like having a baby and giving birth. It can be you get really sick. Maybe you're in the ICU. Maybe you get a pneumonia, things like that. Maybe you have surgery, right? This is super common after bariatric surgery and losing a lot of weight. Maybe it's something emotional. Your body doesn't know. All it knows is cortisol is up and abruptly it goes into telogen. That's that falling off phase. So it can be up to 50% of your hair that gets lost, maybe 200 per day instead of 100. But again, not, not everybody's usually losing up to 50%, at least when I talk to my dermatology colleagues. But here's the point. This happens months after the stressor. So three months after the stressor, you start to lose hair, it can last three months and then it comes back. So I always think three, three, three. You can also see lines in the nail. This can be something else that lets you know this is happening. And so what I just want to say is people are always wanting to know, tell me the supplement, tell me this, tell me that. Part of this is just physiologically what's going to happen with your hair. And I know this is disappointing to hear. And again, seek out all the answers that you need. But I just want to explain to you that when you're going to go through a big stress this is going to happen. I was telling my clinic members on a weekly call that we do when Chris came in to talk about this, that this happened to me with medical school. I remember within the first six months, I went out to the car one day and I looked in the mirror and I just said, oh my gosh, what has happened to my hair? And I didn't realize the beginning of medical school was just a lot of information that I had had never had to take in so quickly in my life. And so it can be really varied what, what does this to you. But often we're gonna see this with weight loss a few months in, this hair loss for a few months, and then potentially coming back, depending on is that stress over? Is your body okay with it? That's really where the verdict's out, kind of what it looks like long-term. And I just wanted to go over that because I think people tend to think, oh, now I'm malnourished or now I can hit myself with supplements. And I just don't see real evidence that's suggesting that one thing over another is making massive different strides. I'm not saying it can't help some, I definitely would still recommend good protein intake and, you know, general macronutrients and and looking into all these different things that this person's talking about, making sure that labs are okay, all of that. But I don't have an answer for you. Take this and then the hair comes back. A lot of that tends to be pretty gimmicky. And it's just the fact that you've had a stress on your body. Again, please make sure that you talk to a doctor. All right, so we have gone over a lot of questions here. This is all informational. Again, make sure you talk with your doctor. If you're someone that in the future you have a question and you want me to answer it, make sure that you get on that email list of mine, rentiaclinic.com. Click on podcast, right-hand side. You can get on the obesity guy with Materentia MD, that email list. And then you could always just hit reply at any time to that Monday email that comes out to let you know what's going on. I've loved spending this time with all of you and I'll see you next week.